Here we go. All right, here we are again. It's another episode of Nudge Coach Happy Hour. Mac, it's Friday, August 28th. Did I get that right? This is a trend. It is the 28th. Yeah, I should do more research before we start, but that would be that would be counter to the whole philosophy behind this being just raw and uncut and live. Raw and we'll uncut. This goes. Um, but what's going on in the world? So we just had a what the RNC political conventions have happened. Yeah, we got that more, all behind us. More sports um, behind closed doors. Everyone's familiar with Lionel Messi from Barcelona. He's leaving now, and he's going to cost like a bazillion dollars. So you know the world's changing. That's but right. Move on. Wait for that move transaction. On. If you if you're wondering, you know, have any questions about your own self worth? Try not to compare <laughs> yourself against the amount of money that it's going to cost someone to own the rights to Lionel Messi. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it's going to be remarkable. It's interesting. I was I was actually reading a uh, economist actually summarized. He wrote a pretty interesting story on Business Insider talking about how it was still probably a good investment, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, that's nuts. I mean, I cannot imagine the jersey sales that. that oh yeah, yeah. And with that many followers on social media, you know, there's a lot of other areas in which they can they can monetize. So yeah. pretty interesting. But sweet Jesus. Well, speaking I'm, of the influencer model, which I think was was that last week or week before. It's kind of spilt over, I think, between a couple episodes because it's really shaped. Like I think about the other podcast episode we we launched this week, the one with Chase. I mean, there's, it's kind of the whole idea of kind of building a brand and building an influence and, and creation of content so woven together, I think at this point where everyone has to kind of build their own brand and build their own audience. Yeah. So, um, Speaking looking, of that, I got distracted for a second because I was going to tweet at Chase and I forgot to. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good about responding to um, most, most of the people we've had on here have been pretty good. Um, I yeah. did talk to Kathleen too through Instagram over the past week about having her on here again. So nice. Um, well, I'm really quickly scanning my calendar from everything that happened this week for this conversation. So go okay. on. Yeah. I'll come Absorb in that. Let me spin the wheels for a second. So I think what we were planning to talk about today, and this is a little bit of a broader topic, just because we've had kind of throughout the, the last week or two, you know, a lot of different things come up where we've been noticing gaps in people's offerings and businesses. Um, I think we're going to dig into Mac basically Anywhere that people are dealing with issues where there's something missing from their coaching business or from their online program that's holding them back, what that is and kind of starting to diagnose mm-hmm. some of these things or, you know, talk and about this is what we see, right? This isn't like what a person's coming to us and saying, Hey, hey something's missing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, or maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're narrowing this down to several dozen things. Is that what you said? <laughs> I, there's no reason to narrow it down. No. I've got all night, man. <laughs> no, and no judgment here. I think everyone would admit there's always something you can be doing better in your business. We are, we are not like omitting ourselves from that too. Plenty of things we can do differently too. So not, not here throwing stones by any means. I think yeah, we're just absolutely. trying to share observations where we've seen. And I've, I know there's a couple of things I've seen over the week. And that's really the, the idea of this, this whole thing on Fridays is looking back at conversations that we've had over the past several days, what has come up. And I, I've got a couple that I can think off the top of, my, top of my head. I don't know if you want to kick us off though. Yeah, I'll kick it off. So I, here's where I want to start. Actually, I want to zoom out for a second and just take a step back and look at a lot of the conversations where we start with a lot of the, you know, small businesses, people getting started with, with coaching who might be transitioning out of something else 
um, launching a new program. Um, and I don't know if this is like a, a sadly, this is where I have to start with this or, a, you know, this is just where people are in their life cycle of their business. But I mean, th the first thing that came to my mind when we were kicking around topics for today was that clients are the main thing that's missing from coaching businesses. Yeah. Um, so I know that sounds ridiculous and a little fundamental, but here's why I bring it up as a relevant starting point, Mac, is that there's a lot of kind of the basics of setting up a business and making sure all the pieces are in place so that you can bring on enough clients to run a sustainable business. That I think we can start with that kind of stuff and then work our way down to the, hey, why aren't you growing faster or profitable mm -hmm. or all that? Yeah. And I think this gets to some pretty fundamental things. Like I'll let you, because you, you started that, I'll let you run with it at first, but I think there's a fundamental piece because it plagues a lot of companies and this weaves into some of these recent blog posts and podcasts we've touched on that I'll kind of circle back on. Yeah. Well, let me go to as early of piece in the puzzle as I could possibly think of, which is that I know a lot of people, you know, you get really excited about transitioning out of a different job or you're just launching this as a side hustle and what can happen a lot, and you've talked about this actually, and I like the way you phrased it on one of our recent conversations where um, people are become sort of product focused and forget about the process of acquiring clients and proving mm -hmm. out the, the problem that, that, that they've hypothesized is there that they're trying to solve. Um, so a lot of people in the very early days are simply missing clients because they didn't take the time to validate they're offering in the first place. Yeah, I think it gets, and I don't want to confuse this with product-led growth because everyone knows I'm a huge fan of product-led growth, which is very different. But I think just launching a business with a product focus gets to the whole idea of creating a product in a vacuum and creating a business in a vacuum where you just sit there kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid thinking, hey, this is going to be awesome. And I think what we see in a lot of coaching businesses, which is really natural because you've got these people that are phenomenal at what they do who like from a standpoint of a person being an expert in their field and being great at kind of working with a person from a coaching capacity makes sense. Sometimes though, I think that doesn't necessarily translate over to the whole idea of, Hey, I'm going to package this in a certain way so I can articulate in a certain way so I can market it in a certain way, so on and so forth. And so what maybe happens is in your mind, it makes a lot of sense, but it's all been in a vacuum and it's not ready for, you know, early customers, you know, pressure testing for, you know, minimum viable products, so on and so forth. So I think that's, that's like the fundamental piece though, that that was what I had in mind when I was talking earlier, that as, as you point out, it, it's like a foundational building block. And I think that's, what's causing a lot of these other pain points we see. Yeah. It's the blocking and tackling of, you know, I, I think this is what I want to do with my life, but you need to formulate the specifics of the, of what you're wanting to develop on top of that. And you can't just do that by, hypothesizing alone, right? You have to sit down with some people knee to knee and talk about um, what they're going through and whether it'd be a fit for them, do outreach to appropriate people, see if it feels like a, a relevant offering and, you know, all the way down to, Hey, I'm thinking about building this. This is the program. This is why I think it's going to be really effective. Um, mm -hmm. This is what I know about it. How much would you, let me ask you, how much would you be interested in paying if I could tell you that you would get this out? Yeah. You cut, so you're, you're talking about customer development, yeah. which I think has become very much standardized within the startup world. And I don't think you're seeing it as much from like the certain service-based businesses, which 
it there part of it may be the whole idea that hey it's a service you don't go through some of the same developmental processes you would need to with a product business mm -hmm. but i actually think it's more important in some ways because when you have a service based business it's even easier to say yes and make these little micro decisions that all of a sudden you have this very broad offering that's incredibly difficult to articulate heaven forbid you'd ever be able to actually you know market it on a website or anything because it's so vague and I think what has ultimately happened is because of skipping this step, what we actually see is a lot of people are kind of obsessing over their offerings in general. They're having a hard time finding early customers and getting that early feedback they need to shape it into something that's going to be very marketable moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had some, some good conversations on this point, so I don't want to dig too deep into it. But you know, for example, Lauren, several weeks ago, we had sat down with her and she talked about this Lauren Tickner. Um, she talked about, you know, the idea of developing that program idea on the front end and having those early conversations and just being ready on the back end to, you know, knowing that you're, you've really thrown this initial price point, you know, at the wall to some extent. Um, bouncing that off people and saying, you know, if you'd be willing to jump in with me here, you know, I know I'm, I'm, new at this, launching this. So I'd be willing to offer you 50% off to get started. Does that sound like uh, something you could do? Um, those types of things are ways to make sure you can draw in those early clients and, you know, be, be high touch with those early clients because, you know, every one of those that turns into mm -hmm. a success story is going to pay you back many times over for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually, it's funny you say that because the other thing I actually had come up a lot this week has been, um, which this is a little bit of a transition, but I'd say it's one of the next kind of going down into a layer. If you're thinking kind of management of, of your business is actually collecting payments mm. in the different methods to collect payments, which I think we, we all very quickly could rattle off a lot of different ways to do it. You know, everyone sends money through Venmo and PayPal, things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting as we're, I'm seeing more and more people are really thinking about it from more of a customer experience perspective, like what, what does make the most sense for their business? What's going to be the most elegant experience? Um, and it's, I, I think it's an interesting question and the fact that it's 2020 and this question is still being asked, which I also think is fascinating. Yeah, no, it, it is sort of amazing. And it just goes to show that there's no sort of, there are a lot of times where there's just no one perfect solution. Yeah. Right? There's going to be a lot yeah. of options out there and some are going to be a better fit for some businesses, some individuals, and some are going to be a better fit for others. That's just a fact of life, but that's also why there can be so many companies having success and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it's great, but you know, we certainly hear of a lot of customers of ours who are able to build in, you know, PayPal, let's say into their workflows really successfully. And we hear others that really just don't, prefer that type mm -hmm. of interaction. So this is going to be something where some of these systems setting up systems in the early days is trying it out, seeing if it fits and from a process perspective. And if it does, then figuring out the best way you can incorporate it for mm -hmm. a great experience for your customer, like you're referring to Max. So um, there are a couple of things we could actually dig into with that, which is, you know, gets to the question of, Hey, do I charge all up front? Do I split the yeah. payments somehow? Um, have you been talking to folks about that? Lately? Yes. So this gets to probably my biggest concern that I'm seeing right now in the coaching world, like bar none, like this, this is it is there's a lot of literature out there regarding building and managing subscription-based businesses. And a lot of it is focused on the software space, softwares of sales, companies like us that have, you know, for, for nuds that have managed subscriptions, 
lot of systems, a lot of methodologies, a lot of, you know, those are things that, you know, I feel like all I've done over the past 18 months is read about user churn and the different ways you can think about it and measure it. And these are things that are so important when you're managing a subscription-based business and there's tools you need to be using. Like as soon as you start using, start accepting credit cards, like there's like a suite of services you need. There's things you need to be thinking about. And these are things that I think, you know, I think most companies are like this when you first start, right? You do everything you can to get those first clients and just like that act of getting the credit card on file. There's like a success, like you hear like horns, you know, horns going off and music and the angels descend and, you know, rainbows and butterflies, things like that. And I think though, what happens is in a lot of ways, people find out very quickly, if you're relying on credit cards, credit cards like are around to do one thing, like fail, right? Credit card payments, like <laughs> that's what they do. They fail. And it's really important to be using a Dunning system. And if you're not familiar with that term, a Dunning system is one that essentially it's, it uses email automation built around. It's usually built on top of something like Stripe or any of your credit card processors to actually send touch points to clients when credit cards are about to fail or are failing or about to expire. Because if you only have one client or two clients, yes, it's easy enough to kind of keep an eye on that yourself. But if you had a dozen clients based on how people are getting new credit cards and updating those, it is just too easy to suffer from what they call soft churn, where you're just losing money from not being able to keep up with those. And I, I think that idea though of understanding churn, understanding how to combat churn, even though they are not a software business, they need to almost run like a software business. Yeah, I think, you know, the more we do this, yeah, the more we do this, we're finding these lessons that we've had to learn through launching a a SaaS business, a software as a service business that become really applicable in interesting ways to coaching businesses that in the end ought to be structured as recurring revenue businesses. Um, But, you know, they don't tend to think of themselves that way and don't have the same at least it's not sort of built into the culture to have the same sort of metric discipline that a SaaS mm-hmm. business would have out of the gate to obsess over things like, you know, churn rates, um, to deeply understand uh, the tactics that can increase lifetime value and stuff like that. And that's actually, you know, it's all relevant to this conversation about what can be missing from, you know, a coaching business that could be holding it back from going to the next level, whatever that may be. Yeah. It's, it really is a foundational piece that I think is really, you know, all the other stuff is, is certainly important too. And I think what we started with that idea of kind of customer development with the idea of kind of using kind of an audience first or kind of a customer centric approach to launching is maybe the, the first chapter. I think this idea of kind of once you have something launched and you're actually working with customers, understanding kind of churn, combating churn, optimizing subscriptions, um, I think the upfront payments to your point, and this is, and that's really one of the best methods to combat churn is, and if anyone's not familiar, by the way, I realize we keep talking about this churn. Uh, churn is basically your customer's loss. So if you had, you know, 10 customers going into a month and you lost one of those customers, that would be, you know, one divided by 10. So that's a 10% churn of, of your total customers. Um, if you have people paying monthly, it's very, you know, you're going to be suffering from churn because you're going to have people in given months stop paying you. Of course, the one way to combat it is get people to start paying upfront for multiple months or for a year or whatnot, because that means you at least have them, you know, locked in and that business locked in for a certain period of time. So yeah, yeah I, I feel like maybe some people are starting to explore it, but it not, it's, I'm still seeing two different models out there or a couple different models. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's so much of, of, 
coaching, at least in, you know, the early days has been structured around, you know, most of what we hear in the small businesses, especially is things structured around say 90 day programs, eight week programs, stuff like that. And those are great opportunities to be able to collect the whole uh, nut up front. Yeah. Um, because it's not overwhelming. It's not committing to a year, um, which that can be a little bit of a more challenging conversation potentially. But if you're early and you have a 90 day program, that ought to be something that you can spend mm -hmm. um, and you can sell with, with some confidence. Yeah. I think it, it's funny. We talk about time to value all the time in the software space with, you know, having a freemium model and everything. But I think what's interesting is there's also that concept in saying coaching too. And I think in coaching, you, you really wouldn't want a client that expects results within 24 hours or within just several days. You, I think everyone would admit that it's, you know, take some time. And I think you want clients that, that understand that and appreciate that. So you would think that having them commit to like a certain block of time would, would make sense. And I, I, I know the hesitation is always like, Hey, well, Mac, if I try to do that, you know, you're putting up more barriers, more friction points um, to having a person sign up, you know, they don't have the money. They're not going to do that. I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if that argument really holds true. If you have a good offering, I think it's one of those things where, it, you should be able to articulate that to a client of like, Hey, look, results don't come overnight. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, well, I think there are tactics that can fit in to address that if that's becoming a real issue and yeah. you should, you should go through the practice of launching that and having those conversations and learn if it is becoming an issue, because a lot of times, like you're saying, you know, people are surprised when they are having that very frank conversation with potential clients up front that they're pretty accepting of the idea of paying for 90 days for this outcome up front. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, keep in mind when you're talking about your program, people are certainly paying for a specific outcome that they yeah. expect to get. Um, so when it's framed that way, people are going to be receptive um, if they really have that need. And if they don't, they aren't going to shell out the money for it. It's not always necessarily so much a question of how much. It's, yeah. do I want this really badly? Is it worth more to me than my whatever, $300, $500, whatever it is that, that you're going to charge. So um, yeah, yeah, those, the breakdown between the monthly numbers versus, you know, a three month upfront number is not that crazy, even mm -hmm. a year in some cases. And, you know, in the software business, you certainly see a hell of a lot of companies like us offering, you know, discounts for paying up front for a year. Yeah. So that's, that's an effective way to reduce churn. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. Cause it's funny because we kind of glossed over that, but that is absolutely key right there is I'm, I am always every day of the week willing to give people a discount to pay us, you know, to pay up front. It's a win-win. I also tend to find though, people generally, I think are more bought in if they commit and invest more up front, which I think sometimes gets overlooked. People are very quick to, to kind of complain about the friction points of getting people signed up in the worry that it's going to dry up their leads and people are just aren't going to commit. But I think it actually brings maybe a better quality person in too. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the key point, right? Mm -hmm. You want to sign up the right people inevitably. Yeah. Um, you don't want people who are still on the fence paying you a hell of a lot of money because they're going to freak out right after yeah, that. Especially in coaching. I think if you're, yeah, if you're already in a relationship like that, you would think you, yeah, really, really important that you have the right person in cause it's going to make your life miserable. Um, Oh, the other thing that actually, I, do we, do you want to keep going on this? I actually had another thing that kind of came up this week. Yeah, I think about transition. It. That's what this is for. The, um, you know, one thing we always touch on so much during implementation is like setting expectations within a, pro, a coaching program, especially as you're launching or, you know, going remote. So 
one thing I always tell people is if, if you're in, if you're starting to kind of explore just kind of in the early days of going remote, meaning that you're working with clients in a way that's kind of asynchronous, you know, text messaging or however you're communicating with them, the importance of setting expectations. And I had that come up several times this week where at least one, it may be in, been multiple talking about, you know, pr- businesses that have been around for a while that were just starting to kind of get into this. Maybe they're doing telephonic coaching, maybe they're doing something along those lines, but really kind of having an aha moment of realizing like, Oh crap, we do need to make sure as we're onboarding people into a remote program, we set time constraint expectations because what happens is if you were going to onboard a client today into a remote coaching program in which you're going to be communicating with them through text, email, you name the channel, nudge, whatever you're using. um, I guarantee within definitely within a month, if not within just two weeks, it's probably you're going to have someone who's going to start sending you messages off hour, you know, 10 o'clock, then 11 o'clock, then one in the morning, then two Mm -hmm. and setting expectations of your responsiveness and setting those boundaries I see time and time again, people forget to do that and very quickly have to try to retrain client behavior on what's okay with kind of respect to those barriers. Yeah. And let's play that out really quick, uh, just in detail. So let's say you haven't had that conversation up front and you're getting those messages at 10, 11, 1 Mm a.m. Now it becomes sort of a painful conversation that you have to sit down with them, have an awkward moment. Yeah. Like, hey, listen, here's when I'm going to be doing this. Here's when I'm not. You, you might be letting them down a bit. In fact, you probably are letting them down to some extent just by the fact that you have to readdress this. Whereas if you have that conversation up front where you are setting these kind of rules of the road, rules for communication, rules of engagement, however you want to frame it. Um, and, you know, they go into the process having heard you say, you know, shoot me messages anytime within the platform. Mm-hmm. Just know that I won't get back to you within the next 24 to 48 hours or whatever that may be, whatever that time frame may be. Then since you've set that benchmark up front, you have over-delivered when you reply yeah. that one yeah. time within half an hour or immediately mm-hmm. um, when they really needed you. And that's just how you create something that feels like a white glove experience, even when it might be the exact same experience that someone else is offering. They just didn't manage the expectations up front. Well, this, this gets back to what we were talking about a little bit at the beginning of like creating offerings in a vacuum. And I think what sometimes happens with, I think remote coaching or online coaching kind of gets bastardized in a way where someone says, well, Hey, I'm texting clients from time to time, or I'm doing zoom calls from time to time. Like I'm remote coaching. And it's like, well, not, not really kind of, maybe you are. Um, I think it is too ambiguous within so many offerings that I, I would love to see, and I think this is one thing we always try to do in implementations is try to really help people package. And I would, I would challenge anyone to do this right now is think about what you offer clients, take a step back and try to make sure you can actually articulate all of it. Because if you're just saying, Hey, work with me, I work with you remotely. Like I'll text you time to time. We zoom occasionally. Like that is not, that, that is not okay. And you're not going to have a very good foundation for scale, especially if you're in a team environment. And that's, I mean, that's just, another friction point here is the inconsistency that I think really getting to a point, you can really define that like, Hey, this is how we're going to communicate. This is the frequency of communication. Yes. There's always going to be organic back and forth if questions pop up and things like that. But I think at least making sure people understand that, Hey, look, you're going to do a video conference once a week, or you're going to get, you know, one feedback message from you a week based on their data or something. I, I just think I'd love to see a little bit more structure regarding some of the programs I see out there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it, that 
all that seems to tie into me to understanding that kind of once you kind of align on the outcome that people are Mm -hmm. expecting. So, you know, when it comes to articulating an offering, you can easily get wrapped up in the, you get A, B, C, and D, which is important. But if you say that in a void, you start to think about it in a void and you're just thinking like, Oh, I'm just giving personalized coaching. That's what Mm -hmm. I do. I do personalized coaching. Um, Everything kind of loses its meaning without that anchor or that core piece that, you know, people are working towards. So it has to start with the really clean, concise messaging that you know how to deliver of, you know, I'm really doing this because I'm here to help you live a stress-free life at work or, you know, feel, feel like you'll, you'll never gain that 15 pounds back that you were worried about. Uh, You know, this, this outcome that ties everything together, then everything has a reference point and anchor that as you talk about the oh, I get personalized coaching and you're there when I need you and Mm -hmm. this and that. It's all on top of that, you know, outcome that people know they're working towards and everything makes sense together from that point once you can articulate that core piece. You know, it's funny, this this kind of seems like it's all tying back to that whole idea of like the foundational pieces like customer development. This like, I feel like it's weaving all back into that idea that, hey, make sure you're kind of focusing on the basics at the beginning because I think we're, I know I feel like I still see organizations that even are pretty established, to be honest, maybe they even have teams that these are just things that really maybe weren't properly defined, or maybe they're just getting into more of that online or remote coaching right now. So they didn't really need to. So they got pretty far without them, but it, it is something that I think is really Pandora's box. And if you're not putting time to it now, like I said, I've been on calls before, like follow-up training calls where, coach came on and was like, Mac, I made that mistake you were talking about. I was like, Oh, what are you talking about? And she was like, I onboarded a client the other week and I forgot to set expectations on responsiveness. And so sure enough, within a week, I started getting messages from her off hour, 11 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, whatnot. And she was having to retrain that client on boundaries and kind of, you know, 24 to 48 hours if it's on the weekend, things like that. And it just, these are just kind of all comes back to the whole idea of putting focus on the basics at the beginning. Yep. And, you know, it'll be a lot more comforting to you once you have a full system in place. So I would, you know, encourage everybody, and this is, this is probably a a sort of next stage of this entire conversation Mm -hmm. that I I think we've been kind of uh, flirting with a little bit along the way, but Mm -hmm. making sure there's a fully mapped systematic approach to the entire customer journey. Customer Uh, journey. Yes. If you don't have that mapped, you are very liable to skip the step of, hey, I need to manage set expectations up front. Piece of my customer journey is send the rules of engagement to client as the first step. Um, Or that's maybe even as you're growing built into an automated workflow. So you know they're receiving that and you can follow up with them personally to make sure they sign off on it if it's something you want them to sign. Mm -hmm. Um, These things need to be mapped so that they don't get skipped because in the end, those pieces that get skipped come back to bite you in the ass at the end. Yeah, it's it's funny because I always talk about, you know, and it's probably because the world we've come from being more on the kind of marketing side and funnel side, but I think it's really, and we've, I think we even wrote a post on this of like, think like a marketer in a way, but taking lessons from creating email sequences, I think is something maybe people should consider a little bit more because most coaches at this point have, are familiar with the whole idea of like, you know, capturing leads on their website and nurturing through email sequencing. But I think there's really a, I would borrow a page out of that playbook from email sequencing of when you onboard a client um, or say you onboarded two clients today, 
even if they have very different needs, I still feel very strongly that your communication to them, and especially in the opening weeks, could be very, very, very similar in terms of, hey, it's great to be working with you. Here's, you know, here's a couple links I want to put in front of you in terms of online resources and link, you know, just like some of the basics mm-hmm. that I feel like are very reusable that I don't think coaches are doing enough to help standardize. And it becomes so important as you start expanding your team that it kind of helps get away from that ambiguous communication I was talking about. But I think that ties into what you were saying, customer journey. And I would like to see more businesses starting to look at, hey, here are the first eight weeks of the customer journey. This is the touch point I want to deliver here, this one then. And it may be a little bit different for each one, but it at least follows similar themes. Yeah. And this idea of mapping a system so that I think I think of this in two stages, and I know you do too, Mac, but you know, the idea of, you know, making sure your your business is built out in an optimal way and structured in an optimal way on the front end, you are building out a structured marketing funnel as you grow as you know, you sales funnel, marketing funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know where people are in the journey. They're coming down the funnel. It's getting narrowed to those people who are going to be an ideal fit for your, for your program. Then they buy and then they go through the rest of this customer journey where you might see it in sort of two steps in your brain. That's fine. I would suggest absolutely mapping out both of those. Map it out as a funnel, map it out as a customer journey, compare the two, make sure they line up and connect. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not too many ways that you could actually approach this just to make sure it all lines up because even in our business we've we've been doing this for years <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you know we make tweaks to everything we've talked about so clarifying your message i make tweaks to that all the time um to try to improve that um even when you're getting way down the road and you have a huge organization do you know how much a b testing is going on in huge organizations for the clarity of message mm-hmm. um and if it's not half of those companies should be fired right now. Um, I mean, these are things that will always be an issue. So, you know, don't forget about them, keep them in mind, Mm -hmm. but make sure you, you do the diligence of mapping out every stage. So funny little compliment to that. Um, Thomas Tungas, who's big in the kind of startup venture world. And I think when he was at Google, I believe had a really funny um, kind of story. He told in his book, he was talking about how they had teams just focus on in this one example he's talking about button colors they had teams doing all this testing around what was what button color got the most conversions and they did like an extensive amount of testing around it it ended up being this like specific shade of blue but the amount of resources that went into them doing that because that little uptick of conversion meant just oodles of money for them that it was it was worth it for them to do that but it just yeah to your point things evolve i think I think behavior changes. I think, you know, society changes and evolves. And I think it's one of those things where terminology does too. So think about the whole idea of online or remote coaching that 10 years ago meant something very different. It was much more niche. Like you didn't really hear it. Now it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, even when we got started, we felt absolutely the need to educate every person we talked to on exactly what remote coaching was, um, what, taking a program online looked like and all those pieces like heavily. I mean, lots of one-on-one time. And as that's become more ubiquitous across, you know, specific coaching verticals from business coaching to relationship coaching, health, obviously, and wellness coaching, 
Um, all of these areas, they're becoming more and more common. There are people with expertise that understand that their expertise and their journey that they've done before is going to be incredibly valuable to recreate with people out there who are trying to get where they are. Um, mm -hmm. And people are taking advantage of that who want to either work for themselves or grow a new product line at a larger company or service line at a larger company. Um, and because of that evolution of this market, our language has changed over time. Yeah, We're able to run even, I mean, the, the core infrastructure of our business has changed from a more sales-led approach where we're doing all this hand-holding up front to a product-led yeah. approach that you talked about earlier, which I know would take some explaining, <laughs> a little bit more explaining probably for everyone to fully understand that. But the idea being that we are leading with the product is what people are looking for because our market is mature enough that- yeah. People understand very quickly when they get to our website, oh, I can create a coaching app for myself and for my clients uh, when I get mm -hmm. here. I'm going to go ahead and do that and, and, you know, see if it's the right fit for me. Yeah. Whereas before we had to explain what the hell all this stuff was. Yeah, it's amazing how terminology, it's funny you go back to think about when we started. You're right. The whole idea of like online and remote coaching was just so much in its infancy that, you know, the language I'd, I'd be curious to look back at our website to see what it looked like back then some of the terminology we use because it's really has evolved and it, it it's important that it continues to evolve so yeah I think we've been really kind of optimizing our funnel geez for like five years now so it's been one of those things where you just kind of learn every day through conversations through through the data and you know make changes accordingly but oh yeah never man. ends so one last area I wanted to get yeah. to like open up kind of a, a can of worms and you know if we have to touch on this next week we'll touch on it next yeah. week but We've sort of been talking mostly about, all right, we've, we've got the, the validation up front, right? Um, we've got these core structural pieces. We understand our systems. We're refining. What about these businesses that are struggling with just straight profitability? Like they're starting to get people through, but they're not profitable or they're not profitable uh, enough. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So there, there are tools in the toolkit for making sure that in the sort of SaaS business speak, the lifetime value of each client is enough yeah. that you're becoming profitable as you grow, more and more profitable as you grow. Um, the first couple that come to mind for me are uh, upsell offers, whatever those may be that mm -hmm. fit into your business that, you know, there are more opportunities for that than you think there are. And two would be continuity plans or maintenance plans for people who have yeah. worked with you for a while, totally trust you and want to continue, even if it's just to keep the weight off or whatever that may be. I'll even go out on a limb and say every coaching business should have a maintenance plan. Like if, if I don't understand businesses that don't have recurring revenue and just let customers leave, like I, I just, my brain can't wrap around that concept. So the idea that you work, you know, you spend this money to acquire a customer and then after a coaching program, I, it just seems so natural to be able to transition them into something that's a lower cost maintenance plan that maybe they're doing, you're doing a monthly webinar for everybody in that bucket and you're, maybe they're getting access to some digital content that you have very scalable, but just like, wow, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but that, that's just the one thing I've never been able to wrap my head around. Well, it's a thing that I, I just don't know why it doesn't. And I bet if you rewound yeah. for us, you know, we wouldn't have thought of that no. as quickly either, but it's probably you know, harder to run back in the day. I think it's easier to do now than it yeah. was five years ago. Like there's more tools and systems to do it. That's yeah, probably part of it. Absolutely right. That's a, that's a great point. We should take it easy on everybody because yeah, there's more there now than there was before. And 
this concept is just crazy powerful though. If you look at, at the data behind it, and I'm not going to get it right off the top of my head here because it's happy hour. I am drinking a beer currently and I did not prepare for this part of it, but you know, it's some, it's, I wouldn't be surprised. It probably falls the 80, 20 like 10 rule. 10 times cheaper to yeah. upsell a customer than it is to. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's everyone's heard that it's, it's an astronomically large number that it's, it's so much more expensive or it's so much cheaper to yeah, sell a current customer than to acquire a new one. Yeah. 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 I mean, the numbers are crazy. So just imagine, you know, all the legwork you have to do, especially in the early days, guys, to yeah. bring on new customers. It takes time to, to work that out, whether it's, pursuing partnerships, working, reaching out one-on-one -on -one to people, having those conversations. Mm -hmm. You have sweat so much. There's so much sweat and blood that goes into that, that process to get people and money uh, critically that if you don't, you know, take full advantage of that and you're not taking advantage of people, you're just giving them something mm -hmm. that they value, um, giving them the opportunity to continue to receive something of value from you when you have them hooked already and you have their trust, you know, why wouldn't they continue to work yeah. with you if you can help them, you know, continue to stay on the right path over the long term? So after your three month program, they got the result they were looking for. They love you. They may have given you a testimonial, but that's not all. Hey, would you like to, you know, just keep working with, with me for, you know, I can put you on this 12 month maintenance plan. I'll stay in touch with you regularly. You can join in on my webinar still. Um, you know, I, I think it's the right move for you because I don't want to see you backtrack to where you were when we first met. Yep, exactly. I think this is such a better way to keep in, in, like we said, I think it's so much easier to run now. I think there's, there's webinar systems you can use that are fairly inexpensive. I mean, I think, um, some are probably even near free if, if you have a small, you know, starting with a small co cohort, you know, emails, you know, email systems, ways to distribute content. You can use Slack channels to keep people engaged or Facebook groups, um, I th and I think maybe just real quick to touch on like what we typically see in a maintenance plan. Usually it's something like, okay, all those people that had worked with you previously, maybe they're in like a Facebook group or a Slack channel, something that it's kind of more group social. It's not as much one-on-one -on -one in your time mm -hmm. that you can be doing regular webinars with. So maybe it's like a monthly webinar you're doing that any of them can call in, but it's, it's more of a broadcast style. It's not one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. um, content be can be delivered in very scalable ways, like posting into a Facebook group or giving people access to a learning management system or something like that, that it's all very scalable. And that's, that's the key to a maintenance offering is having something that, you know, you can just commit some time to each month. And it really doesn't matter if you have 10 people in there or a thousand people in there, you're kind of dedicating a fixed amount of time to it. Um, granted, I guess, however much you would want to participate, like in that Facebook group would be the big question, but you're not doing one-to-one -one sessions with that cohort, but maybe you've kept them tied in enough that if that person needs you again in that kind of capacity, it's easy enough for them to kind of upgrade back into your one-to-one. -one. So you're kind of letting that person kind of go off on their own a little bit, giving them a little bit of leeway, but you're kind of keeping them close and, and keeping you all connected in case they need you again. Yeah. And the numbers don't have to be, uh, the numbers don't have to be astronomical for this at all. Oh, you no. can offer a very reasonable maintenance plan because of the systems that exist out there for a scalable communication. If you're keeping this one-to-many, and you think about, say, say your 90-day program is $600. Well, if your continuity program for those people that want to stick with you is a year at $50 a month, that's another $600. You just doubled it. Yep. Um, so, I mean, this is literally the definition of the low-hanging fruit in your mm -hmm. business. Um, so, 
this is our call to action to everybody out there. If yeah. you're running a business and don't have something like this in place, this is the piece that can take you from, you know, just scratching out a living to starting to really see some profit yeah. scale. And I think the one thing too, is we're going to wrap it up is don't think you have to start with the maintenance plan. I think Lauren touched on this and that I, I do think it is important, like start with the basics of provide great service to your, to your initial clients and, you know, do things that don't scale, bend over backwards to create a great experience. But I think as you get more experience, that's something where you kind of learn the tricks of the trade and you can realize, hey, there's some things here I can kind of automate or there's some things here that I can maybe create in a much more scalable fashion or, or you know, topics here that maybe work well in like an ebook or a webinar or something like that. And I think it's, it's at that point that you start having the foundational pieces to create this more scalable content, but it doesn't have to start on day one. Absolutely right. Once you've, once you've nailed down the basics and have your system in place and you're getting clients um, in your, in whatever you want to call it, your high ticket offering, your, mm-hmm. your white glove service, your primary coaching model. Um, once you've got that system in place, it's, it's really, you know, time to start thinking about how you can build out that scalable back end. Mm-hmm. God, this was an interesting week. A lot came up. Like this is not like months of content. I mean, this is like things that came up over the past week that we're seeing. So um, yeah. I'm scared to see what next week brings as we look at the calendar. So never I guess next moment. Friday, maybe yeah, never, never a moment, but I'm, I am curious to see like what we'll dive into next week. So we do, it'd be great to see if anyone listening, shoot us a note. If you have specific topics you want us to drill into or things that we've maybe seen, happy to go into it. I think as we get more of these out, love to start doing a little bit more. And maybe that's what we do with the Instagram live ahead of time, which if you're not following us on Instagram, nudge coach and phil and i both post a good amount um individually to mac gamble mac underscore underscore gamble and phil bean which is just one word it's just at phil bean at phil bean i think i if i recall i had at mac gamble one word like back when instagram was new and then like i just sat on the account and they deleted it so then i had to create another one i think that's how i got to the underscore well i will tell you that for some reason so i i did this social media purge for like two years. Yeah. You and I both were pretty much off social media for two years. Yeah. And so one of the things that I did that I didn't even realize it did was I fully deleted my Twitter account. So I had like thousands of Twitter followers (laughs) and I just recreated my Twitter account and somehow my handle is still available. So I'm once again, just at Phil Bean on Twitter. Keep it consistent. I I have three followers. So there you go. Help a brother out. guys. You got, you got three. You can't get to a million until you go through three, but um, now I appreciate all the, we've, I feel like we've had a lot of good listeners recently, a lot of, you know, a lot of downloads, a lot of great feedback. So I appreciate all that, but certainly let us know anything you want to hear us go through. We'll, we'll make sure to bring it up. For sure. And for your, you old school folks like us, you can also email the show. It's just (laughs) podcast at nudgecoach.com. So, you know, that's what I would do if I were a listener. Uh, we've already made fun of ourselves for not understanding. I know. Totally. Don't even get me started on like Snapchat and tip TikTok. That's about like that's next generation. I'm convinced. Got, got nothing for you there. Um, all right, guys. Well, I guess we should wrap with that. Um, again, check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And I guess we will see you next week. Cheers. Bye.